Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill, proudly sponsored by Elders. Now today, the markets where the consensus is, there's probably no consensus what is happening and what might happen. There's certainly been and there certainly promises a lot of, a lot of action. To sort it all from EP3, market analyst and the man with more degrees than the compass, Matty Dalgirish. Uh, Matty, welcome. <laughs> G'day, Kerry. Thanks for having me. And from Stocko, a man... It drives more miles in a week than most of us would do in six months. The peripatetic Chris Howie. Chris, hello. G'day, Terry. How are you, Matt? I've taken a long time to work out those adjectives, but I hope you enjoy them. (laughs) Now, I mean, I want to start by throwing some figures at you. Firstly, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator. I know, I know, I know a lot of people sort of knock this indicator, but the fact is it's there. Around 666 cents at present this time last year, 1,100 cents. Down in 12 months, 39.5%. Thank you. And probably more important, the feeder steer indicator, now at 5.41, down 347, or bigger pardon, now 3.47, down 36% from 5.41 12 months ago. Chris, you first. Is this a, a reasonable correction or is it too much? Has it, in fact, bottomed out? No, I think we've, as we see with a lot of falling markets, we've gone under where we should be. And I think the bounce is just happening now. With the Eki, look, the Eki the indicator coming out of those those set of sale yards, but it's not a true reflection of what the wiener sales are doing. And talking to Kuma yesterday, um, uh, their sale performed well. Inveril's got nearly 4,000 in today. Um, last week's Inveril sale, it, it wasn't at the levels that the Eki's saying. There's, there's a bit of confidence coming in at the new rates and a bit the same with the lamb and the mutton jobs. They're probably being undersold at present, and I think we're just starting to shake ourselves into a bit of normality. Wow. Matthew, uh, from EP3, to paraphrase the world's greatest treasure, is this the correction we had to have? It probably is, and I'd agree with what Chris was saying there as well. Um, I think at these levels, they're, they're much more you know, normal levels when you compare our pricing to overseas. And the modelling I've had you know, for the last year or so, I actually put some stuff out on, on the website back at the start of January, looking at potential pricing um, into this year. And, um, and that's January 2022, by the way. Um, and it, it's pretty much back, you know, sliding on the lower side of what the, I'd call the fair range. So I'd, I'd agree with Chris. I think at these levels now, it's probably good buying opportunities, whether you're talking cattle or, or sheep or lamb. So you're getting the same market signals as Chris has been getting? Yep, exactly. Chris, you've uh, been checking the countryside for us. It would uh, seem pretty good just about everywhere. We had to have the rain. So from Dubbo to Roma was extremely dry during the month. Pretty much from Gunnedah north, they're up and away. They've got a lot of crop in now um, and, and a perfect time to put crop in, uh, a grazing crop. The area around Dubbo, a bit of rain this week. I'm in the Riverina now and from the Riverina back through to the, the border into um, Deniliquin, there's a lot of fresh growth at the right time of the year. So I, I actually think we're in a good position now. The heat's gone and you know I know that we all say, well, is it? We haven't seen any heat, and I'm, I think we're on change of season now. So the country's looking good. Uh, Western Australia, talking to those lads over there, just probably two or three weeks early for a break, but they believe that they're, they're set pretty well to go into a reasonable season. So, um, Chris, when you you and your mates have a lemonade after the sales, what's the chatter about? What do, what do talk, they talk about other than the weather? They're talking about the opportunity, like the lighter lighter cattle and the lighter uh, land, anything without weight, is very good buying at present. We've also got the, the tractor set just ready to fire up, and we know that once the diesel starts to burn, the mine set goes right away from livestock, get them off the place. So 
we all think that this market might move a little bit quicker. I know we've got short weeks in, in April. Normally, May, we start to see it tickle up. It might just have a little bit in it, you know, a couple of weeks earlier. So you're pr- uh, forecasting some offloading in the next four or six weeks or so? Yeah, and it happens every year. So yeah. what we see at this time of year, we see plenty of cows coming out, um, you know, from the north and, and pretty much any of the sale areas, lots of cows going going into uh, processes at present. And we start to see unfinished lambs hit the market, uh, a lot of ewes, you know, mutton. And then from now on, the supply peak really starts to decline quite rapidly. Matt, I've been doing my homework. Uh, any concern, feedback to your EP3 website, uh, which invariably, of course, means less rainfall for much of Australia, Eastern Australia in particular, over the winter months. Any concern about that uh, at all? Yeah, look, there was. I mean, when the Bureau looked, they put out their three-month forecast not that long ago. It's probably coming up maybe three weeks ago now, and it was a pretty dire-looking forecast coming into kind of the middle of the year. There's, there was a bit of concern around that, but there was an equal amount of conjecture, I guess, uh, on social media carriers, people saying that they just don't trust it, and and that the um, the accuracy at this time of year in autumn, you know, usually pretty touch and go for, for the modelling. So um, I think people are, you know, just looking at it and taking it with a bit of a grain of salt. And certainly, like Chris was saying too, we've we've seen some rain uh, falling now in the eastern states, and, and I'm actually over in WA now. And they've got rain forecast for the next few days as well. So I think, you know, I'd be, I'd be the same as Chris. It looks like the season's changing. I think people are not as convinced it's going to be as dry as what maybe the Bureau are thinking. Yeah, I get the distinct impression that Matt, the, the, Matt, the, the uh, bombers actually backed off on this El Nino forecast, a fraction. Yeah, I think if you look to it, at some of the modelling that uh, is being done overseas too, I think the, the Bureau's model was the, the kind of most um, dire of the lot, and I think they're maybe now just trying to walk back to that a little bit because they're probably falling in line with more some of those international models. Matt, you've been researching the live trade out of the north. We all know it's been struggling, but uh, your figures make it even worse than most of us thought. Monthly numbers down 65% under the five-year average. What's going on up there? Yeah, look, it, it, and this is after we've seen this price correction too, but it hasn't kind of flown through to, to increase kind of demand in any stretch just yet in the key markets. Um, if you look, like Indonesia is, is even lower than them. I think they're around 75% for one of the months below the normal trend for them, which is obviously our biggest market. And that's a bit of a worry that they haven't responded to lower pricing. But then you've got the likes, you know, China and Vietnam both had one month uh, out of January, February where they didn't take anything. You know, China's kind of recovered in, into Feb with some reasonably good flows over 12,000 head. But Vietnam still a market where we've really lost a lot of, a lot of market shares to, to the South Americans and Hopefully now with the with this reset of pricing, that can maybe allow us to call back a bit of market share, but we'll just have to see how that plays out. Yeah, something else I read, Vietnam is now taking Indian buffalo meat. How long have they been doing that? To any great degree, I, I mean? I think it started into the latter parts of last year, so last kind of half, last quarter of last year. I don't think they'd been taking much prior to that. You know, it's again, a bit like what we saw um, in, in last time around when we had high pricing in, and you know, we saw a bit of a switch into Indonesia even for the Indian buffalo meat. So... When we get you know too expensive is when we start to kind of lose market share to some of those other products that aren't as good, but obviously much more price competitive. Yeah, it's still a concern though, isn't it, that they're actually in there. Uh, Chris, yeah. um, uh, traditionally the live trade, of course, has put a, somewhat of a flaw in the domestic price of cattle. Could that platform be in trouble now? And my mail from up north is there's a hell of a lot of cattle up there at present. There's two parts to this. There's a lot of cattle that normally would have exited the system live export. So once they go on a ship, they're out of Australia. They don't become part of the washing machine. A lot of those cattle have moved south, and we talked about that over the last 12, 18 months. 
in Sydney last week at the Rabo uh, Farm to Fork, talking to one of the major producers. And um, the Northern Territory is pretty much clean. Because of the prices, as you said, it saw seven, eight, nine dollars for light calves. Every property has been going as hard as they can to get every available sale animal out. And so this year, their carry inventory is virtually the, the calves. So the excess numbers in the territory probably aren't there that are normally there, you know, year on year. Um, now, next year, that'll change, no doubt. They don't seem to be quite as concerned in the territory in the Kimberley. Uh, and, you know, we've had these these big rain events um, and everyone's still adding up what the cost of those has been. And a lot of the country now, as I say, they've got bitumen to yards. So they're not squeezed into that supply period that they have been historically. They're allowed, you know, they can move cattle during the wet unless it's a significant amount of rain. I think the cattle job is still extremely strong. That live export job is still extremely strong and price has been what's caused the ripple. I, I, think, I think it'll come good pretty quickly. They've had a very, very good wet season there. There's going to be some fat cattle there, if not now, uh, maybe early next year sometime, I would suspect, yeah. A lot of demand for breeders to go back in onto the available feed. And we're seeing that through, you know, invoices that come through the stocko business. The inquiry around preg-tested cows, you know, northern preg-tested cows, preg-tested heifers or retaining heifers that normally would have been sold. But those, some of those big, bigger cattle won't meet the endo specs, will they? So they'll have to go somewhere. And Vietnam just seems to be reluctant about this buying. Yep. It's yep. all to do with price, um, I suppose, in the well, end. Well, look looking, looking at that, the grass grids at present, there doesn't seem to be any quote for July, which tells me that, yeah, there is a supply of those bullocks and cows to come out. You can still get quote on grain fed, uh, whether it's treated or, or untreated uh, with HCP. But yeah, the, the, that July job just might fill up in the north because of the quality of the cattle, the availability of feed. However, in the south, year on year, in July, there are no numbers. So, you know, one balances the other out. I want to get to China and America in a moment. But first, um, Maddie, uh, let's touch on feedlots. They've been bleeding money. Is there any likely change ahead for the feedlotters? Look, I think from, from the perspective of, you know some of their input pricing, yes. So the grain pricing, the feed pricing, come off a bit with the, uh, you know, with this kind of movement of of, of uh, wheat coming out of Ukraine, and you know that that kind of extra few days that, that now Putin has granted has kind of put the global market down a bit, and 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 we've kind of seen that flow through the domestic pricing here. So there's a bit of relief there, um, and just with other concerns, I guess around recessionary um, movements into the global economy, seeing things like fuel pricing that come back down to more reasonable levels uh, historically. So there are some kind of benefits on the on, on the kind of cost side, you know. I think so, still though, you know, and they had some really tough kind of running into the end of last year. I think and, and into the earlier part of this year. I think margins. Looking at the margin modelling, I did. I think last time we were on Kerry, I spoke about the model showing losses of around five hundred dollars a head, or, or or in some cases yes, slightly more. Um, and that's that's. I, I got a shock by looking at the margin modelling. And, and by that, and wondering if the margin or the model was maybe out somewhat, but we've seen anecdotally reports coming through at the start of this year that uh, for some, even the losses climbed almost close to a thousand dollars a head. So I don't think it's as bad as that now, but I, you know, I think there are some kind of signs that their, their margins are starting to improve again, but it may still be a bit, a bit to go before they get to some decent kind of levels. And if you're feeding those F1s, the losses would be proportionally higher, of course, wouldn't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in the Wagyu side, um, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see losses maybe over a thousand dollars a head. Yeah, Chris. Now, is China actually in the process of recertifying Australian meatworks? Yes. So that's pretty simple. Um, 
what we're seeing is that the Chinese opened up to Brazil again, I think, start of week, which was quite a quick turnaround. And we're also seeing that uh, works, beef works in Australia uh, are getting their uh, licences reactivated, which is a good thing. So what sort of beef might China be looking for this time around? Oh, no, no, Matt, Matt might have a better idea. In the old days, it was a lot of ideas and assholes. But um, now uh, <laughs> they, it's, very much, it's very much targeted into the, the higher end. You know, the COVID unlock has seen a lot of those four-star restaurants. Uh, and I think Matt alluded to this a couple um, episodes ago. But that quality beef into that service trade is, is really the driver behind it at present. Yeah, you're talking about the Wagyu, yeah. the Wagyu, of course. Matty, is that how you read it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, MLA has been working for a while, and they, they've targeted, I think it's something like eight different cities within China where you've got a high pop proportion of population on, on the elevated income, like over the 75000 US a year mark. So they're, they're, they're consumers that are very much in the Western style. They're not looking for those cheaper cuts that, that used to be the type of things we'd send to China. So the, the market has changed in our focus in terms of Australia. We know that we can't supply the whole of these markets, so we're pinpointing particular um, cities, targeting those and targeting you know, set populations within those cities that are going to pay for that kind of Western-style cut. And, and I think that's part of the reason, too, why we've seen that you know, with, the, with the Trump deal and the growth of the US footprint into China as well in terms of the flows they're sending. If you go back pre-2019, the US had no presence in China in terms of imported product, or less than 1% of what was coming in. And I think now they're sitting at around 15% and very, very competitive into those markets that we're trying to re-establish into. Yeah. So what, given what the China market did get to, uh, it seems just a few short years back, will those heady days return or will it be a long slog for Australian exporters? You're talking about those two years where China got to the top and they were the biggest market for us yes. for a couple of years. So that was, yeah, they, that was right in the thick of their um, African swine fever um, yeah. issues where, where they lost you know, some 200 million head of pigs and their production you know, went down significantly. In, in domestic production being such a, you know, a commodity, a meat commodity as they were, were heavy uh, consumers of, they needed to find that gap. I think at one stage there, the worst of it, they were looking at something like a 20 million tonne gap of, of meat product that they had to try and find elsewhere. And, and part of that was a pretty aggressive uh, approach globally, but, but it meant that the Australian the Australian market was able to supply and China became our biggest kind of uh, destination for beef exports but, you know, out, out to in Japan. Um, I don't think we're going to get back to those levels quite straight away, but I, I think there's an opportunity now with that changing dynamic of the, of the political situation that we can maybe call back a little bit of market share, um, you know, and that, and that would be a good thing. And they took a huge amount of mutton too, didn't they? Uh, Chris, that, that was the case of just a few short years back. I think what we're seeing is mutton is definitely undersold, but it happens at this time every year. And talking to one of the processors, I said, look, where are we going? He said, look, in May, lambs back off, mutton starts to go again. There is a margin. Processors are making a reasonable margin on mutton at present. As we start to use mutton to fill kill space when lamb numbers drop, and presently it's trading, you know, it's trading around $3. I think we'll see it without knowing. I'll see it. We'll see it go back to 4 to $5. I'm pretty, pretty comfortable at that level. And, and lambs? Uh, lambs might take a little bit longer, but then, like I said, I'm at Wagga today, and and quality lambs, and I'm not talking secondary lambs. Quality lambs are holding extremely firm. There's not a lot of push, you know. No one's pushing each other, but you know, we're still seeing sort of seven fifties and seven sixties here at Wagga today. Uh, some of the other yards are quoting back towards sevens, uh, just on, and a lot of that's on quality. I think once we get out the back end of um, Anzac Day, 
You've got three short weeks in a row. I reckon you'll start to see that lamb job just take a natural, a natural rise in towards the back end of July, early August. And Chris, you've been keeping an eye on Western Australia. What's going on there with the impact of the of Canberra's decision to put the stop sign up to live exports? It's still a long yeah, way I, off in relative terms, but the impact is already being felt. I, I, I think, isn't it? is it not right, right across the area? Absolutely. I know. I know that nothing in life's fair, but what's happened in Western Australia is not fair. They've got a really robust sheep industry. They've been doing it for a long time. And all of this talk around the, the live export industry, that's, I, I don't agree with it at all. No one's done the facts. Talking to a client Monday, uh, one of the feed mills there last year, that was $40 million worth of gross turnover. This year it's 20 mil, plus the carriers, plus the people that supply on the grain. The knock-on effect on shutting down live export in Western Australia is massive. And to the point that we've got so many, what you'd say, died in the wool sheep producers that are saying, look, we need to we need to look at continuous cropping or cattle or something. They said this is just not viable for us. I'd just yeah. add on that, Kerry. I'd yes. look at the I'd look at the spreads to um, from the east to the west um, just last week or week before on episode three, and it, it, it's not uncommon for the western producer to have slightly discounted pr- uh, pricing to the east, right? And, and normally, long run for most categories is somewhere around ten to fifteen percent discount through the back end of that last moratorium, so last year's moratorium in September. For some categories of, of, of sheep and, and lamb over here in the west, they got to um, discounts of around 60% to what was happening in the east, which is unheard of. And they're back now. I just looked at trade lamb before we got on the, the call, and, and trade lamb's sitting at about 22% discount in, over in the west here. And normally that would run at about a 9 or an 8% discount to the east. So, you know, significantly lower pricing here that they've been suffering for a good while. And, and you can see... The trend in that worse and worse discount each season has been since the moratorium came in in 2018. It's just it's just progressively got worse over here. Look, Matt's 100% right, and he's got the numbers there. You know, you're talking three over here. Say we're talking three dollars on mutton. It's two dollars over there. They're a dollar a kilo dress weight behind, and the same on lamb. And in the old days, it used to be value plus freight difference, and then ten or twenty cents for the exercise. Well, it's way out of whack at present. Like the processors can only process as much as they can. They just can't fit it all into one box. And then Kuwait comes out and says, what are you doing, Australia? We want your sheep. We, we already take chilled. We already take frozen. But we want this number of live sheep because that's what our food sovereignty wants. And so we've said, oh, no, we're not giving them to you anymore after X, Y, Z. But those sheep are still coming out of South, America, South Africa and they're still coming out of the Mediterranean. All we've done is made ourselves feel good. The sheep are still going to the end destinations. They're just coming from different places. Yes, and the animal welfare stands are no doubt far different from ours. Yeah. And that's after, Chris. I, I might add with Kuwait particularly, our biggest market for live sheep uh, presently, we asked them to put in you know, put in a, a program of, of, of welfare and it included a lot of investment in infrastructure there to get it up to scratch to, to our standards. Yep. And they did all that. They complied with all that. And, and that meant also that sheep coming in from other countries were afforded the same standard of welfare that Australians were getting, which was top of the top, top class welfare standards. And now we're going to shut the tap off after they've done all this investment. I, I could see why they're so frustrated about our behaviour as a country now. Yeah. And the economic paper, and this is 18 months ago that was put out, was fiction that what the damage to price would be, you read back and, and, and it was based on nothing. There were grabs taken out of context. We just need we just need 
some fact-based common sense, and we're looking at the Western Australians, and they're really banding together on this. The, the cattlemen are also stepping in to say this isn't right, and and we just need government in Canberra just to listen to the facts and and how much importance there is in that industry for the Western Australians. Oh, I don't think facts have got much to do with it. It's all about political payback and grandstanding for the uh, for the Greens. That's the thing. If you look at the data, the science, and any of the facts in that space, everything that's been asked of the industry has been done. And and you know, you're looking now at shipments that are getting the same mortality levels as what you're seeing on a on a cattle ship, which is you know, 0.1%, 0.2%, maybe at the very worst. So you you, know, you can't turn around in in the same breath then and say, oh, the cattle trade is different to the sheep trade because the mortalities are, are virtually the same despite the the, you know, the the longer kind of journey. They're not looking at the science. I think it's absolutely a political decision and. Until I guess it's, it looks like it's going to cost the ALP vote with this decision, they're not going to change their mind. And the mortality rates on sheep boats are now less than they are on the QE2. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good fact. Yes, yeah. It is very true. Now look, men, let's finish this off. Is there anything value in the market at the moment, in the cattle market? I'll give you $100,000 to spend. What are you going to buy, heifers? Or I don't know. If I've got $100,000 to spend, and I, I actually like turning money over quick, I'd be buying plain cows, not dry cows, just good plain cows, like good store cows, still supple in the skin. And I think uh, I'd roll them back out in, in sort of late July, August. I reckon I'll go all right. Okay. Now, Matt, you've got 100000 You'd probably put it on the favourite in the first at Flemington, would you, or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon, uh, given I'm in WA at the moment, I might have to consider looking and seeing what kind of cheap animals in the sheep space or the land space I can get over here and bring them across to the east. Yeah, there. incidentally, what sort of price have they got to get to there to to survive the taxi fare to the east? Oh, look, historically, I think it was around 40 or 50 bucks a head would be. As soon as it got beyond that, um, yeah. that's when you start to see the flows opening up. And, you know, it's, it's already more than that now, so... I mean, and we did see, indeed, we did see. If you look back to last year, up until September, there was only about fifty thousand sheep uh, sent across from west to east. And in that last quarter of last year, we, we saw the numbers kind of swell. We saw some big volumes go through the last few months, and it ended up the end of the year was closer to four hundred thousand heads. So there was three fifty thousand went across just in the last quarter of last year, and I think wow. that's partially because that differential started to open up. So cheap sheep and heifers, there they go for the next little while. We'll talk. Cows, 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 cows. Oh, all right. cows. Empty cows. Empty cows. Oh, mm. well, if they've got a calf, that's a bonus. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, Chris Harry from Stocko, Many Dogleys from Episode 3. Your expertise is a delight to hear again. Thank you for being on Beef Central. Thanks, Kerry. Cheers, Kerry. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is the Weekly Grill, proudly sponsored by Elders. Mm.